Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and resigning myself to my life as a human trope detector. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. I only enjoy eating when the food is spicy enough that I am also sweating. <laughs> Today on the show, we're talking with Sarah Zelkowski, Vice Zelikoski, President. Husky, like the dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no hard K. It's Zelkowski. Zella Husky, yep. Okay, cool. Thank you. We should have asked about this before we start recording. Uh, <laughs> Vice President of Engineering at ReactiveOps. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks for correcting and, me already. Yay, I get to, <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, last last time we had a coworker of Rachel's on, and this time we get a coworker of mine. So this is exciting. Yeah, totally. It's, it's a pattern. Well, well, so let's just jump right in. Sarah, tell us about your path to leadership, how you got to where you are today. Oh, that's an interesting question. So if I think about my path to leadership, uh, there's two ways this could go. And you tell me what's interesting. One, I could either tell you the seminal moments of what I think drives me as a leader, which none of them have to do with work. Mm. Or I could tell you about my path uh, in my career to here, which is also interesting, but different. Is there a Why reason we can't both? talk about both? Exactly. I mean, both. This is just, why Kendall I get along. <laughs> we want Hopefully both. We're not here too long. So let me tell you about some of the things I think that kind of have formed me as a leader. Uh, one thing you have to know about me is that my father uh, was in the Air Force with me growing up as a child. So I am what they call a military brat. And a lot of my upbringing, I think, affected the way that I am today. Uh, my father had like one of those can-do attitudes where, you know, if something needed fixing or tinkering or whatever, he could do it himself, right? So there's a lot of home improvement projects in my family, uh, a lot of computer tinkering, things like that. And I was always there helping him. Uh, and I think one of the things I learned from that was not only how to do things myself and to tinker, but also how to anticipate risk. Uh, my dad would generally go through a couple iterations of getting things not quite right. Uh, which, you know, was amusing, I think, as a child. Eventually we got there, though, and it was great. But I think what it allowed me to do was start thinking about what could possibly go wrong. And I think that led me into operations, uh, which is kind of how totally makes sense. I went into engineering. Um, but, you know, I can kind of see trouble coming and think this is really not going to work. How can I prevent it? So I think that, that for me, was one of the, the really big moments in, um, you know, becoming the leader that I am today. Um, the second lesson I would say is um, about 2009, 2010, I worked for a company called Sourcefire, which has since been bought by Cisco. Uh, they had a vulnerability research team, which, you know, they're just security researchers. They're a very high powered team. My current sister-in-law was actually the manager of that team at the time. I was just a lowly Ruby developer. And one, you know, summer afternoon, I was supposed to present some of the work that I had done for her team. And she sat there in absolute silence the entire time that I was presenting this work. And it just made me so uncomfortable about what I knew and what I was doing that it really made me question all of the data and all of the work. And it really made me think more thoroughly about what I was doing. So on that day, she really made me learn the lesson that one, silence is power, right? You can uh, really get a lot by listening first. And then secondarily, uh, asking good questions is really important. Uh, and it will help other people develop their ideas more thoroughly, thoroughly and kind of get a better result out of it. Um, so I still think about that lesson, um, which is funny. The, 
The interesting thing about this is uh, doing this with a coworker. Now, suddenly, any silence that you ever bring to any meeting, yeah. it means something. That's right. <laughs> uh, ever after, you'll always wonder. Um, and then the last, I think, event that really kind of drives me as a leader and a person is um, around the same time period, 2010, 2012, I joined CrossFit. And it filled a big hole for me because I was a college athlete and things like that. But, you know, I transitioned from CrossFit to powerlifting. I lifted with a group of about 10 to 15 people. And we had a couple coaches who were helping us learn how to lift better. And interestingly enough, lifting or any type of sport probably is about technique. And what I learned is that the cues that coaches give to an individual person have to be different to make that person successful. So, you know, you could tell me when I was squatting to think about my ankles or think about my knees, right? Keeping my knees back. But somebody else could need a different cue entirely because to them, thinking about where their knees are is, is not useful. Um, and so that lesson was extremely valuable for me um, in thinking about how I help my engineers today is, you know, I can tell you the same message as someone else, but maybe it doesn't connect with you. Maybe it doesn't mean anything to you. And so I keep that in mind as a manager and try to really tailor um, what, what advice and kind of what guidance I give people by that lesson. Um, Makes it a I lot think, more difficult to, to productize your leadership. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, it's not scalable at all. <laughs> yeah, we literally talked about that a couple episodes ago about how, you know, yes, being being a good manager and being a good leader are sometimes different things because of this need for scale. Right. Like, you know, being a, a people leader, you've you got you've to kind of have something be more broadly applicable when you're speaking right. to a larger group of people. Yeah, it's complicated to know when to switch off. And I would agree. And I think that actually plays a lot into, you know, why they say you should have a maximum number of direct reports. Mm -hmm. Because at some point, really, you can't... Um, connect with every individual even though you'd like to yeah if you keep a spreadsheet it can help but oh yeah <laughs> yeah so maybe there's two different types right of leadership or management where you're um digesting some of those lessons for people at a larger scale totally um, yeah okay so, so those are my moments outside of work that i think led me to where i am Okay, so then, cool. then talk about the actual, you know, the path along, how, how you went from uh, banana stand to where you are today. <laughs> My banana stand was uh, physics, actually. I, I went to college for physics. I have my master's in physics with a specialization in astrophysics. Everybody's super impressed when I say that. Yes. But literally to this day, I, I have like blocked all of that knowledge out so that it only comes back if I'm drinking heavily. High fives. <laughs> my undergraduate degree is in astrophysics. That's great. Yeah. Same. It's like, you know everything. And somebody says this isn't uh, rocket science or whatever, you can say, well, get me Why drunk and I can address it as rocket science. <laughs> exactly. State-dependent learning, A+. Plus. Exactly. Yeah. So I started out in astrophysics. Uh, I learned a lot of, about problem solving and, you know, the ways to manipulate Linux systems to get you what you want. Um, but it was actually a really unfortunate field. So astrophysics, like any astronomy, really relies heavily on you getting funding for your work. And the amount of dollars that are out there for funded research is so small that you really have to be in the top, you know, I don't even know, 0.5% of physicists out there to really even be successful. Um, one of our professors in graduate school kind of drilled this 
lesson home to us by uh, forcing us to take a class that was what he called based on reality. You had to um, propose a research project, do all the research, write a paper, present it, um, and he was going to try to choose the projects that would quote unquote, get telescope time. Uh, so he tried to reflect what the reality of astrophysics was. And that meant that one person in the entire class was going to pass. Uh, one person was going to get selected out of, you know, at the time it was like 25 to 30 people, I think. Uh, and so a ton of people just did so much work and they were really passionate about their projects. And they, you know, they went out late at night in Ohio in the middle of the winter to, you know, get observations and everything. Uh, and then they failed the class. And I was one of those people who failed the class. And it was extremely demoralizing and really just kind of made me think about uh, the fact that, you know, even if you do love this work and you are going to do it, it's not, maybe not going to reach the light of day and affect anybody maybe except, you know, yourself. So that's when I really started <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard about what I wanted to do, right? Um, so based on that, uh, my skills, you know, getting out with a master's is, is great. Um, I'm glad that I did that. However, a master's in astrophysics will not get you a job. You have to have a PhD. So I, I managed to get a job at the Harvard Center for Astrophysics in Cambridge. Um, I worked on the Chandra X-ray Observatory project, um, and I did data manipulation. Uh, it was actually, thinking back on it, it was more interesting than I felt that it was at the time. Uh, I got to take data that was seemingly garbage after it was automatically processed, and I got to make sense of it um, by trying to figure out what the problem was. I, I don't want to make this a longer story than it needs to be, but... I'm fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was frustrating, to say the least, and uh, you know, at the same time, I became friends with the system administrators who were managing the um, the systems that the satellite would call home to. And I said, you know, I've got a lot of Linux skills based on, you know, my research and my experience fixing computers with my father growing up. Um, maybe I should just make a switch into systems administration and, um, you know, explore what that has for me and, and see where I can get. Um, so I made that switch. Absolutely loved it. Uh, was able to tackle problems and solve them and have them affect something, right? It wasn't theoretical anymore. It was affecting somebody's day-to-day. -day. Um, and I got this, really... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, was this at Harvard? You made the switch? You just you I jumped did. to systems administration at Harvard? That's correct, yep. Um, I was really lucky to be able to get that position because it made an easy transition. Uh, I just changed managers and changed teams. Um, so, yeah, it was really great. And I learned a ton about storage, you know, having to store images and networking. They let me take some classes, which was great. I eventually got hungry enough about solving problems with like to completion that I wanted to code answers. And so I then fancied myself a developer and started writing PHP code that was absolutely mm -hmm. terrible. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it got me some I got some really impressive projects under my belt. Um, after that, I said, you know, maybe I should go become a developer somewhere. Um, Sourcefire hired me as a Ruby developer. I was lucky enough to have, um, you know, amazing people who were willing to teach me from scratch. Uh, so I, I learned how to, you know, use frameworks and, and better my code and things like that. And all along the way, we were, again, 
we were internal developers rather than external developers. We were building tools for people within the company to use. And that was really, I kind of got me drunk on this feeling of helping others and empowering others, right? Um, I can write this code that will make somebody's life way easier, um, which I think was the start of me right there becoming a leader and a manager. Um, because for me, you know, it says on my Twitter profile, I'm just here to help. And like, that is my driving principle. So every day I come to work to help. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's other jumps along the way where I, you know, um, I, I would lead systems teams and things like that. I think there was a lot of leading behavior from me, right? I would join a team, figure out what problems we had, understand the technical debt, and then want to drive to improve that. Um, and so there was always for me these characteristics of leadership and saying, you can do it, let's do it together, you know, let's fix it all. Um, and I carried that into the position that I have now. Um, you know, I worked for Reactive Ops with Kendall. I've been here four years, longest I've ever worked anywhere. About a year and a half ago, Kendall said to me, you know, you'd really be good for this VPE job. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't even really fathom what that was at the time um, to jump from engineer to VPE uh, is quite a huge jump. At our company, it makes a lot of sense because we're small, but um, you know, generally there's other steps in the middle there, like engineering manager, right? Um, right, yeah. So, uh, but you know, well, I think what- You did do briefly to gloss yeah. over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't all... out of nowhere. There were clear signs you were going to be good at this. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm interested in what those signs were, however, um, you know, what really got me thinking about it was Kendall saying, you know, that I could help affect uh, the success of other engineers, right? And that was the thing that really hooked me because here I was an engineer who has probably seen burnout twice in my life, right, that I can look back on. And just the struggle to get companies to see the value and to understand the struggles and here I am being offered a position where I could change that for other people. Um, and so that's, that's really what got me into this. And I've been doing this job about a year and a half now officially, right? A year and a couple of months. Yeah. I love the heck out of it uh, because I do get to come to work every day to help people um, and to really change engineers' lives by creating a sustainable culture and sustainable work conditions and pushing uh, you know, fighting the good fight and supporting them. So oh. well, and you have actually brought the engineering team from a whole bunch of people struggling to get by to an environment where they really do have capacity to actually breathe, which is not a small thing to gloss over. I mean, there was significant reorganization that happened as a result of your leadership. Uh, but I mean, that's a big deal. Like if, if that's what you came in to do, cause you didn't express <laughs> that to me, you, you really kicked Here ass. I am. Well, it's funny, um, you know, if I think on it a year and a half in, there's, you're right, I, I reorganized the engineering team to try to be more effective and to try to get people a more collaborative environment where they would feel better working together. Um, but, you know, I think back on it and I'm like, I'm afraid that I've reinvented the wheel, right? I didn't do a whole lot of leadership research. Um, you know, I didn't, I don't read leadership books. I don't go to summits and like figure out how other people organize teams and manage. I just started from the problems that the team was having and tried to build systems around it that would support it. And so, you know, I could write a blog post or a talk today about what we've done. And somebody may say, you know, 
hey, blah, 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 in eight, you know, 1896 came up with this. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and well, that's it's, it's possible, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting thing to think, right? Um, yeah, so, so why, why not, though? I mean, I get the, the joy of, like, I figured out the solution and it totally works. Um, and I don't see there's anything wrong with that at all. I, I wonder, though, if you might be more effective if you knew more about how, how stuff works. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. I, think, I think it's a different world for me to start exploring, right? And when you join a new world, um, it's hard to find those initial resources um, at your yeah. current level, right? So I think that's where I am now. Um, I certainly think that I could benefit from other people's knowledge in at least introspecting what we've done. Um, but I, I just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just have to face the problem that's directly in front of you. Like, you know, in hindsight, people often say, well, maybe I should have done a little front loading of research <laughs> and so on. <laughs> but, you know, you solve the problem or you are in the process of solving the problem. And I, that's what really matters. And I know you probably learned a lot or are learning a lot about the process of this such that you can make even more effective choices in the future. So that's absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, I want to background sorry yeah. rich but your research background's probably soured you a little bit on sure. <laughs> it's true so this day i cannot read a textbook or a blog post you know after like five o'clock because i'll fall asleep so yeah yeah i want to i want to <laughs> hark back to like this this the, the jump that you made from because i've never met anyone who did something similar to me which was realize you realize this maybe as a grad student i, I was working a lot with grad students as uh, as an undergrad in astrophysics and and talking to professors about research and you know doing a lot of like of the of the, the scut work of the research um and thinking wow oh, the, the money here is so soft i don't want to live like that i don't want to wonder where my next you know in six months where is the money going to come from mm -hmm. like i i believe in doing this kind of basic hard research but i don't I don't think I personally could survive that way. Right. Uh, and so that I made a specific decision and ha having spent a lot of time with folks who do programming, who do system administration in particular, that's how I made a decision to go into tech as well. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm amazed like, sure, it's, it's, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Translates to being a geek in other ways. It's true. Awesome. Uh, but so, <laughs> so you've, you moved to a leadership role really quick and uh, and you've talked about you know you not you haven't spent a lot of time doing book learning for that and and mm -hmm. I mean to be frank I never did either. Um, what has been the, the the hardest lesson you've learned to get to where you are now so far? Yeah, um, I mean I still remember to the day uh, the face of the person that I had to fire first. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's really brutal because as a new manager especially uh, it was a huge part of my fault. Right. I didn't know what they needed for support before I hired them. Right. And um, so I maybe I hadn't even built those systems yet, but I didn't have I didn't introspect. I didn't ask. And so the system failed them. And, you know, I have to look back on that and know that, you know, thankfully, I've maybe learned a little bit since then and I can try to prevent it again. But that was a hard lesson for me um, because it affects somebody's life. And I was unable to help them. Uh, and for me that, you know, my sole purpose is to help people. That's, that's really hard. Yeah. I, I think everyone who cares about their craft as a manager remembers that first firing and just like, oh, you still get the stomach ache, you know, like, oh. 
Uh, and I think that feeling that strongly about it is a good sign as well. Like there's some, you know, you'll feel badly because, oh, I just, you know, I didn't, I have to tell somebody some bad news. But if you're really feeling it the way that you clearly did, I, I think that that shows a sign that you're, you know, you're deeply there to care about people and, and to get them to do their best work. And if, and if you take on some blame for that situation, that's the right path. Like you can't fix everybody. You can't make a perfect situation for everybody, yeah. but you have to try. Yeah. And it really just made me think about other aspects of leadership that we don't focus on a lot, right? We focus on moving forward with the everyday job and where we're trying to, you know, go with our goals and things as a business. And you don't stop to think about the support structure that you might need for people um, to be able to be successful. Um, How much time do you think you spend one-on-one with folks nowadays versus, you know, when you were doing largely programming and, and not too much leadership stuff? Uh, yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of my day talking to engineers still. Um, there's certainly, I now have um, dedicated time for planning and thinking and developing and things like that. Um, but I, I still have one-on-ones with all 12 of my engineers. Um, and outside of that, I still keep beat with what they're doing on a day-to-day basis so I can I have a lot of pattern recognition, right? Um, for the most part, like I don't micromanage. I don't need to watch everything they're doing, but I keep a beat of it so that I can say, it really looks like such and such is struggling or it really looks like such and such is succeeding. And I want that pattern repeated across more of these engineers, right? Um, so it's really about good filters, I think, right now. Um, at some point, that's unscalable. Um, but right now, I still enjoy being able to do that. Cool. Yeah. There may be a level of people in between you and those folks at some point, and you'll have to work with that person to get the kind of check-in on Absolutely. the progress that you need. But yeah, that's it's a lot of people to talk to every day or every week at least. Sorry, Kendall, What's you were going to say something. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I was going to say a lot of things, Rachel, but you just uh, kept going. Not that I'm bothered by it. <laughs> <laughs> what's, a, what's a leadership issue you're dealing with right now, Sarah? So I'm in the midst of like the pain of creating structure, right? So Reactive Ops was originally a bootstrap startup. We're still very small. Um, and what, I'm tr- what I found out is that there's this silent failure where you can see a dip in productivity of engineers um, and you don't know why. And you, you see it and maybe it's hard to pick up. And then you say, what's going wrong? Like everything was going great. Why is there this dip? And it turns out that people actually like structure. Uh, So, you know, in a startup, there's not a whole lot of structure. Um, People like to know what their purpose is. People like to know what they own. People like to know what they can achieve. Um, People like to know where they fit into the system. And what I'm finding out now is that outlining that structure is important for making them feel like part of the whole, like making them feel like they're striving for something, that they have a reason to come to work every day. Um, And so I'm in the midst of, you know, I've been doing it for a little while now, but in the midst of creating structure. And there's this really fine line you have to walk between too much and too little. Um, I now think I realize, at least in part, why huge enterprises have so much structure. Um, I could right now add a ton of it if I wanted to. Um, but you have to really balance out what is going to help and what is going to hurt and what is not going to work. And so that's, I think, where I'm challenged right now. Can you give an example of the kind of structure that you're trying to add at the moment? 
Absolutely. Uh, so I'm currently in the midst of creating engineer expectations, which is um, something we've never done before. Uh, I think we've had this very organic leveling of our engineers, right, where we say, uh, we're hiring you at this level because we feel like it, and we're hiring you at this other level because of your experience. Um, and you need to be far more formal with that to do right by engineers, right? They need to know uh, what their goals should be, how they can improve, how they can get bonuses or salary bumps. Um, and so we haven't had that. Uh, we didn't need it as a startup, right? I think a lot of startups probably go through that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so for me, it was important to set forth, um, you know, I call it engineer expectations. That's maybe a little bit aggressive, right? This is what I expect of you. Um, I want it to be something that these engineers strive for, right? Um, this is where I am and this is where I can be. And look at that path down the line. I could be amazing, right? And I can get there because they're willing to help me. Um, and so really putting together, you know, the types of profiles that we want to fill out and we want people to achieve and then tying that um, to their successes and failures, right? There's a big part of my leadership has to do with ownership. I trust you to own things. You're going to do it. You can do it however you see fit. As long as it like gets the success that we need, you can fail. That's okay. But you own it, right? You own your success and you own your failure. And so, you know, for me, if you succeed, and you achieve these things, you should be rewarded. Um, and so really getting solid formulas for how somebody should be rewarded for those behaviors is important too. Um, that's something yeah, the commitment you're making. It's a commitment you're making to them if they, you know, if they achieve these goals. Right. Yeah. Well, have you, have you had, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say there's, there's things around all this process that, uh, you know, uh, my tendency is to lean towards like, it's easy for me to say, um, well, that should just be sort of tailored to every person's need, right? And and I think that that's a way that uh, I've tended towards largely in my career, but then definitely, you know, it's it's been brought to light in the last couple of years that that dramatically uh, tends to affect underrepresented groups in bad ways. Towards underrepresented groups as they have towards uh, right. I was also going to delicately try and approach this process. Uh, the idea that, you know, uh, do you have folks who are, are complaining that they, you know, they don't want this kind of structure, they are accustomed to making progress and getting rewarded on their own, you know, persons who may perhaps look more like Kendall than like you or I. Oh. Um, <laughs> pretty as Kendall may be. Um, <laughs> it's been yeah. a thing lately, how Kendall is pretty. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, this idea that the structure, it might be annoying for folks who have been successful in the current infrastructure of, right. of working in tech or working anywhere, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, it's frustrating if you're used to being successful and moving forward without these sorts of, uh, this sort of rigor. Uh, right. But it is overall better for everybody and will overall lead to more predicti predictable results as well as more um, equitable results for everybody. Right. I think that's super important. It's difficult to position that. It's difficult to get the leveling right. I remember at my previous startup, uh, which was Splunk, um, back when we were maybe <laughs> 250 people, we really started to do the, the matrix of what all these jobs are, and it was super painful. Um, mm -hmm. So I applaud you for doing that much earlier. <laughs> I appreciate that. It will be easier to build on over time. I hope uh, so. It will be to instantiate across a company of a few hundred people. Absolutely. Uh, so cool. Um, have you? Did you take on board feedback from the engineering team for this? Like, did you get a lot of? Did you do research outside of the 
the the org to get this kind of information together? I did, yeah. I actually have one really brilliant engineer who came to me and, and asked for this structure, right? That was the, kind of the beginning of it. I knew it was on the radar, but when somebody starts asking for it directly, you have to like go after it. Yeah. So, you know, they came to me and said, hey, you know, I just don't know where I fit here, right? Like, they came in as an apprentice, um, and they are trying to find their way in a career direction that's new to them. How do I grow? Where do I fit? What should I be working on? Um, and, you know, I sat down with them, and we kind of said, you know, let's look for examples of things in the community, in the tech community, that we like, and that we think is useful, and that um, is a good uh, building block for what we want to do here. And so we worked together on that, and I, you know, I really appreciate the work that they did with me on it. Um, and that did form the basis for what we're doing today. Um, okay. I think it's good to look at other examples. Like I said, I, I don't want to do this in a vacuum. There's definitely no need to reinvent <laughs> it. definitely been done before. <laughs> you, you could just like copy paste a lot. Exactly. Of Great. Um, but again, like we definitely had to look at that again, that, that aspect of let's not do too much. Like let's not just make this a formal process where we're like pointing everything and you have to write me a review of yourself with 10 bullet points about why uh, you fit this particular, yeah. like that. So let's take what we like, take what makes sense, take what makes things equitable and let's um, shape it into something that reactive ops can use where we are now. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It is good to have that also like you're, you're willing to change it a bit over time as you, find out more about oh, yes. how it works in, you know, no, no plan survives contact with the enemy kind of thing. <laughs> we still do that a lot. Um, uh -huh. We call it the developer's way, right? Um, we iterate towards something better. Uh, even in our leadership and organization and management, uh, we're, yeah, yeah. it's a hypothesis and you have to prove it or improve it, right? Yeah, I find it a little frustrating sometimes in, in, in situations like that where you are building a, you know, a, here's the official policy on X. Mm -hmm. And I work currently in a company where pretty much everyone wants input on everything at all times. We're only, <laughs> we're, we're just under 30 people. Everybody cares deeply. It's awesome. And also, God, so fucking annoying <laughs> sometimes. Well, uh, I but along those lines, and, and something, I mean, Sarah, I don't know who you're talking about that approached you about this, right? But uh, one thing that I do think about is um, our company has been built largely on the backs of very, very senior engineers. And even some of the less senior people that we've hired are more senior in their career. They're just more junior to this particular you know, piece of technology or whatever. Which is and why I we call them apprentices instead of juniors. Right. Well, and I think what's what's interesting in in that, and I mean, one thing that I really like is these apprentice engineers that uh, you know are newer to this technology are not new in their career, and as a result, they you know there's there's feedback from everyone. Saying, hey, Kendall, you can do this better. Hey, Sarah, can we improve this? And it's it's always like really impressive and insightful stuff mm -hmm. that I think uh, you know when when I was 22 and working primarily with 22 year olds. <laughs> Uh, you know, none of us had a clue how any of this was. What? You all thought you were geniuses at all times. Now, come on. <laughs> you know that's, that's true. I remember it. Thank goodness uh, I was still in school. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the idea that you get a lot of, it sounds like you got a lot of great uh, experience brought into your org because you mm -hmm. are, you're down to hire people who don't necessarily have the specific experience you're looking right. for, but are, are experienced in general. I think that's a great approach to hiring personally. Uh, I don't like it when people are just like, well, you don't have experience in this very specific narrow. You don't know how to write anything in Swift. Well, okay. Yeah. No, I mean, so part of me can have a little bit of empathy for companies like that because as we have 
we're a small company and as business fluctuates so quickly, we have to kind of respond to what's happening, right? If there's an immediate need, I need somebody who knows yeah, Kubernetes tomorrow, right? Um, that can't last forever though. You need to get yourself in a stronger position such that you can then uh, diversify your engineering talent or whatever it is, yeah, like, because otherwise you're really not doing yourselves a favor. So I can kind of empathize with some of that, but not, yeah. yeah, not forever. Well, if you're in a services kind of situation, it totally makes more sense. But I just, you know, I've seen that my whole 20 right. plus yeah. year, 25 plus year career at this point, <laughs> like you need 19 years of Ruby and nothing else. Uh, yeah, that's totally going to be good only, for you. We only hire engineers with 25 years of Kubernetes experience. Exactly. <laughs> Do you remember that with Java? Oh gosh. Yeah, that's well, so so let's let's pivot a little bit. This is authority issues, Sarah. Talk about your relationship with authority. Uh, you know, I'd be interested to hear too how that's affected by growing up in a military home. Mm. Um, that change things or not and then you know how do you feel about having authority over others and how do you feel about others having authority over you well I guess I can answer that first part about growing up in a military family my father was not militaristic um, there was no pecking order there was no strict discipline my parents were actually very compassionate kind people when I was growing up uh, so I don't know that that necessarily affected me with authority issues. I was born a very sensitive person, if you can't already tell. And I have been a rule follower all my life. Um, interestingly enough, that's changed a little bit recently. Um, I actually feel really comfortable having the authority that I do currently. That's I awesome. think um, what, it, what I know about it is that um, I am working for the people, right? I am there to help them. And so my authority allows me to do that effectively, right? I have been given the chance to build structures and make rules and, you know, organization that helps them. And as long as I feel connected to them and care about what they're saying, I feel very comfortable there. Um, I respect the power differential. So I'm very, I think I try to be very careful about um, the ways that I, um, affect my authority, but otherwise I feel very comfortable about it because it gives me a strong position to make a change. As far as people having authority over me, I, th I think it's very, it's very conditional. And like, Kendall's my boss, so I'm gonna be, no. Yeah, I'm like, go, go for it, lady, I've got gotcha. so, <laughs> you. Um, the, the really, really fantastic thing, the reason I still work for Reactive Ops is that the executive team is full of empathetic, kind, respectful, compassionate people. And they allow me to own my failures and my successes. And they give me the authority to make change. And they've always supported me in that. Um, I have not found it anywhere else in the tech field. Um, rare. It is extremely rare. Um, I often think, you know, what if the leadership changed? What if the people who came in to take over this company weren't like Kendall and, you know, maybe judged me on my gender or, you know, my sexuality or whatever it is? Um, I would have problems with that. Um, you know, as yeah. much as I've been a rule follower for my entire life, um, I question those rules a lot. And mm -hmm. so you can give me them, but I will question them and I will push back on you if they don't make any sense. So I think that's really my relationship with authority coming from the top. Awesome. Well, okay, good job, Kendall. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can we just end now on this positive note? <laughs> Check. Kendall's self-review done. Uh, 
So uh, to move on from this, it's not exactly awkward, but I'm going to pretend it's awkward. Uh, to move on from this awkward place, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your hobbies outside of work. Oh, man, I have all of them. I think that's... You have a snake or some sort of... I do. I have a snake behind me. Um, that's yeah. actually one of my huge hobbies. We have a ton of animals. I live on a smallish farm in western Massachusetts uh, where we have five dogs, a cat, a bunny, a snake, and two horses. Um, and I love animals. Uh, and we spend a lot of time um, taking care of them and loving them. That's all a lot kind of good chores. Stuff. But I also, I really dabble in a lot of things. Um, my drive to be, I have like the perfectionist drive, of course, like any engineer would, right? So I want to be really excellent at something. So I try everything, right? Uh, I do wood carving. I've done, you know, I do weightlifting. I do sewing. Um, I'm going to try beekeeping soon. Uh, awesome. <laughs> I have one of those lives where like, I'm really just trying to find something that, uh, you know, just sucks up all of my passion and Develop uh, expertise in everything. Yeah. It, I, so I guess that's my whole life, right? Is being a, a Jill of all trades, but uh, yeah, that's maybe so cool. someday I'll find something. <laughs> that is awesome. No, I didn't realize you were out in, in Massachusetts. I was, mm -hmm. I was assuming you were, I, but I keep forgetting that, uh, that it's a fully distributed company and that's, that's great. Right. It works super well. Well, cool. so, well, I, do you want to ask the next question, Rachel? I was going to, I was, so go, Rachel, go this, but this time I'm going to ask this question a little bit different. Rachel, do you think Sarah is an introvert or an extrovert? And then we'll ask. <laughs> I think Sarah is mostly introverted. Okay. And then Sarah, are you introverted or extroverted? And how does that affect your work? And is, is Rachel right? This is awesome. I love the way you did this. <laughs> you should ask that. Can you answer that first? <gasps> what do you think, Kendall? Yeah. What do you think? Oh, uh, I mean, you worked with me for four years now. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, there's the extrovert side that comes out, but I think you're introverted. It's actually interesting. Uh, I have a partner who is a huge introvert, um, so much so that, you know, the social anxiety that comes along with it um, and, you know, not having energy or getting energy drained by other people. Um, I can solidly say that I have been becoming more introverted since I met them. Um, however... I certainly still get energy from being around other people. So uh, I would always wrong about this. I would call myself a majority extrovert, although, like I said, becoming more introverted as I grow up. <laughs> okay. To your credit, Rachel, you, you don't work with her on a day-to-day -day basis, so you getting it wrong is a little bit uh, less bad form than me getting it wrong. Um, sure, <laughs> sure. But I just think it's funny that I'm always like, I totally know, and I never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. And how has uh, how has this this gig, this leadership role, and coming to this place affected your personal life? Is it positive or negative? Oh boy, um, leadership wise, I think it's been great for my personal life. Um, being an engineer in the trenches is really really hard, and especially at a startup, it's really easy to overdo. Right? Um, I definitely overdid, and I worked tons of hours, and I cared about the customers, and I was on my phone on Slack until 9 o'clock at night. Fix every problem, yeah. I was on call every other week, and that was really challenging personally. Um, becoming a manager, you know, there's a lot to it. I think maybe a lot of people say, oh, you can, you know, have business hours now, but I think a lot of it is... Um, one, the job is extremely exhausting in a way that engineering wasn't. Um, I, you know, between one-on-ones at some point, I can be so emotionally drained that I can't do anything for 30 minutes, right? Um, and that didn't happen to me as an engineer. Um, so I think by the, by the five o'clock hour, 
I am exhausted and ready to go home. Uh, and it allows me to draw a better boundary, I think. Um, Plan for that, yeah. Yeah, and then secondarily, I have to be an example, right? Um, now people are looking at me, if I'm working late or early, they can say, oh, Sarah's doing it. I guess I have to do it. And I don't want to be that person, right? We've all had the boss who went on vacation but didn't really go on vacation. Yeah. And, um, you know, so for me, deleting Slack uh, for whatever vacation I take is important so that people know they can check out. Um, so I think it's changed me a lot in my, you know, just being able to accept that work has to be contained kind of a mindset. And then secondarily, I have a much better relationship, I think, with what is work and what is not work. Um, oh, say I, more about that. So... I used to be, you know, I said I'm a very emotional person. I think I used to be very personally invested in everything that happened at work. So, you know, if people were frustrating or challenging me or if a project was stuck or if things weren't, you know, good, I took a lot of those emotions home with me. Um, becoming a leader and a manager, I've had to start helping other people manage those feelings. And the way that I can help them do that is by helping them disconnect personal feelings from um, the actual execution of your daily tasks, right? It doesn't mean, I don't mean you need to be non-emotional entirely, but you need to be able to compartmentalize and understand where those feelings are coming from so that you can properly kind of make decisions about them. Yeah, yeah. And so I personally think that there's no way that I could have talked to a really angry customer, you know, two years ago when I was an engineer, it would be extremely challenging. And I would probably, no, I did cry a couple of times. I'm not going to lie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, in front of customers, which was great. But mm. I think now it's easy for me to approach a customer in a challenging situation and say, I understand your feelings. This is why the situation is the way that it is. And here's how we might solve it um, so that it can be better. So I think that growth for me has been huge and I haven't cried in a while, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. And imagine that, I mean, it definitely had helped me develop my personal relationships better, like understand right. that same process that you describe about like compartmentalizing the emotional content doesn't make it not worth, you know, like the emotional content is very important. Mm -hmm. you, should, you should recognize that and, 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 and tap into that when you need it. But uh, being able to pull that aside and go, what is the reality of this situation I'm in with this person? Right. It's been super helpful. Like, what do I want the outcome to be? It has made me a lot more Machiavellian than I thought maybe <laughs> an idea, but <laughs> it is super yeah. helpful to, you know, like, to just get through a thing and then sort out the, the fallout. Like, it's, it's been great. So I, I feel like Good. that part of, of learning those tools and interacting with people has been super helpful in personal life. Yeah, for you being well. able to set boundaries and things like that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this is, tends to be the pretty much the last question, but uh, if money were no object, Kendall, um, what would you do with your life? <laughs> would uh, things dramatically wait, 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 why, 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 pause and well, say? Well, I don't know. You're, 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 you're in charge of, of the financial outcomes. Oh, of, if I paid Sarah all the money. Yeah, all the money. Yeah. Um, do, would you have like a million more animals? Would you, <laughs> what would you do? Oh, um, Wow, it's really a hard question for me because all the hobbies. I haven't found the thing that I love more than life itself, although my daughter is pretty close. Um, 
I mean, I probably like you're already doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, I'm happy. Um, I think maybe I would coach, um, and potentially coach kids. Um, I, I think coaching and teaching is the ultimate embodiment of helping. Right. Um, there's, there's volunteering, right. Which I think is a very worthwhile pursuit. Um, but with volunteering, often you are uh, giving and then going away. Mm-hmm. And I want to give and continue to be there. Um, helping people achieve their goals and grow. As cheesy as it sounds like, that's, that's what I want to do. And so, you know, I think I would probably teach or coach something. Yeah, something more with more duration, more longer term impact kind of thing. Yeah, change somebody's life for the better forever, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are I find you like, coaching oh, basketball or coaching snake raising? <laughs> I mean, I, I really enjoyed coaching weightlifting, which I did oh, near the okay. end of my weightlifting career. Um, I, I think there's, there's plenty of things that I would do. I think sports are natural to me just because that was something that I grew up with a lot. Um, yeah, there are a lot of parallels between being a leader of people in general and being a coach, a leader totally. in sports. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. And, um, and then the, 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 the final question, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, so I mostly hang out on um, Twitter, on the internet. Um, my Twitter handle is my first initial and my last name. My last name is extremely challenging to say, so we'll write it down in the show notes. notes. Um, yep. <laughs> I wanted to get Sarah Z, but somebody's just been squatting on it for years, <gasps> years uh, which is really terrible. I also hang out on uh, Rand Slack uh, and Kubernetes Slack and Hangops Slack. Uh, so oh, Hangops. Yeah. <sighs> cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, <laughs> suffering that your boss was on here and. <laughs> Coming to talk to us anyway. Uh, anytime. <laughs> how do I how do I make a huge emotional sigh and then uh, uh. I swear. Well, awesome. Uh, this has been great. I uh, I am super psyched to have met you. That was a really awesome. Um, I especially love the three points of 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 how you learned about leadership. What your what your touchstones were there. Yeah. I find those super compelling. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share. Good questions.